A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Maybe you'd see a movie by yourself, take a rejuvenating nap, curl up with a good book, or catch up with an old friend. Or maybe you'd just enjoy doing nothing for once. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. BetterHelp offers convenient, affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash morning report today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash morning report. Recently on the Marketplace Morning Report, you heard our Democracy in the Desert series. We took you to places characterized by researchers as news deserts to see what communities stand to lose when they're without a local news ecosystem, especially during an election year. This kind of reporting takes resources. David Brancaccio went on a six-day reporting trip with two of our producers, grounding themselves in these communities and meeting locals who are trying to find solutions and fill the gaps. Every donation to Marketplace helps sustain this kind of in-depth journalism. Please give what you can today at marketplace.org slash donate. China's largest property developers, financial foundations are shaky as creditors file to wind it up. Hello, you're listening to the Marketplace Morning Report from the BBC World Service. I'm Liana Byrne and thanks for tuning in. Now let's get the latest on China's property sector crisis. A new petition to liquidate has been filed in Hong Kong's High Court against China's biggest private property developer, Country Garden. The BBC's Katie Silver is in Singapore and covering this story. Hi, Katie. Hi, Liana. Katie, for anyone who's not familiar with this story, what is going on with Country Garden? Well, they're China's biggest property developer by sales until last year. And to give you an idea, they're huge. There's about 3,000 projects across China. But in October, it missed a $15 billion bond coupon. They owe about $11 billion in offshore debt. So uh, a number of these creditors, for example, who are owed money, formed a group to start these negotiations on how to try and get it back. And today, we've seen one of them basically launching this petition in Hong Kong's high court, asking for them to issue a liquidation notice for Country Garden. As for Country Garden, it's said in its regulatory filing that it's going to resolutely oppose the petition. And what do we think the outcome for those negotiations might be? So we saw a similar case, a much smaller property giant, that is, of course, China Evergrande, um, facing these toings and froings in the Hong Kong court towards the end of last year. And just last month, the court issued an order saying it was indeed going to have to liquidate. Now, Evergrande is the world's most indebted property developer. It owes in the order of $300 billion. And basically, the court there found there was probably no escape and and therefore they would need to liquidate. Whether or not Beijing chooses to enforce uh, that ruling made by the Hong Kong court when it comes to Evergrande, that we're going to have to wait and see. But if Country Garden does indeed find itself in the same place and it's enforced by Beijing, it's going to have huge potential 
financial ripple effects across China's economy. The property sector, for example, accounts for about a quarter of China's economy. And there's fears around contagion, what it means for smaller suppliers, um, as well as what it does for confidence. And of course, China's economy has struggled really when it comes to its post-pandemic recovery. Katie Silver, thank you so much for joining us in Marketplace. Thanks, Liana. Now let's go to South Korea. The country is reporting a record low birth rate despite spending billions to encourage women to have more children. The average number of children a woman is expected to have in her lifetime has dropped to 0.72. The BBC's Jean McKenzie reports from Seoul. Many developed countries are grappling with population decline, but none in quite such an extreme way. It's estimated that in 50 years, the majority of Korea's population will be older than 65, posing major challenges for its economy, its healthcare system and its pension pot. For years, politicians here have been trying to reverse this drastic decline. Couples who have children are showered with cash payments, subsidised housing and free hospital bills. But it's clear these financial incentives are not working. Jane McKenzie there. Let's have a listen to these workers in Seoul who say the country's business culture makes it difficult to have children. There will probably be a situation when my child is sick and I need to leave the office to take care of it. But under the current work environment, women can't just leave the office as this could be disruptive to their careers. I need to make time to look after my children. The most difficult thing is that timing is not always guaranteed when you're working. So I think the government and companies need to cooperate and create an environment for raising children. Workers in Seoul there. Now, let's do the numbers. There was an 18% increase year-on-year of people seeking refuge in the European Union, according to new figures from its asylum agency. And that amounts to 1.1 million people seeking protection. More than 6 million people visit the Sistine Chapel each year, making it one of the busiest museums globally. But big numbers could cause damage to the frescoes, so the Vatican has a small team of experts who monitor the conditions in the chapel. The BBC got exclusive access to see how they maintain Michelangelo's art. Sarah Moneta saw the team at work. A stunned crowd slowly paces on the inlaid marble floor, their eyes on the vault, their mouths half-opened in amazement. The Sistine Chapel is part of one of the most visited museums in the world, up to 25,000 tourists a day, but that comes at a price. So for a few weeks every year, after the last visitor is gone, experts get to work. If you imagine thousands of people, contemporary present in the chapel, this means that the humidity increases and also the carbon dioxide. And this reacts with the surface of the work of art. Francesca Persagati is the head of the painting lab at the Vatican Museums. We may have condensation, is like water on the surface, dust, deposit, because dust means also dangerous compounds. Climbing onto a crane operated from the ground, Francesca is lifted high up under the vault, just a few centimetres away from the image of Jesus raising his arm. She and her team are inspecting the scene of the Last Judgment to spot any signs of deterioration. We have here some alterations, some light whitening. Now we need to understand what caused it. At the opposite end of the chapel, experts on a scaffolding are taking high-resolution photos to map sections of the frescoes. 
Fabio Moresi is the head of the scientific lab. He shows me a stunningly detailed close-up of a character in a sidewalk fresco. It's a self-portrait of Perugino, the author of the scene. To get these details, we took 20 separate photos and we pieced them back together to obtain this extremely high-resolution image. At such high resolution, we can see down the single paint crystal, and this allows us to see over time if there have been changes or dust deposits. After the last restoration 30 years ago, sensors and an air conditioning system were installed to keep a stable environment in the chapel. But since then, the number of visitors has soared, requiring more intensive maintenance. Last year, we closed our uh, 2023 with a nearly 7 million people in a year. Barbara Iatta is the director of the Vatican Museums. It's an important mission to be an open house. It's exactly what Pope Francis is asking to us, and it's exactly the line in, in which we are going, trying to balance, of course, the welcoming with the preservation of our incredible collections that are surrounding us. It's a fine line to ensure that present and future generations will still be able to gasp in awe every time they look up at Michelangelo's masterpiece. From Vatican City, I'm the BBC's Sara Monetta for Marketplace. And that's it from the Marketplace Morning Report from the BBC World Service. My producer today was Naomi Rainey. Our editor is Joe Critcher and I'm Leanna Byrne. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.